1: All righty, welcome to it and tuck in. We got an hour to get this done, so we got lots to get through. John Scholes here. Welcome to the show. And as always, we have a uh, fantastic lawyer on the other microphone. That would be this time round, Chris Justice. Yes, Chris Justice is uh, your lawyer on the show today. You want to uh, reach out to Chris anytime. I'm talking outside the hour. You can do so. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the number. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website, which we always refer to, in fact, it was created just to make you smarter. When it comes to employment rights, workplace uh, rights, that is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. While you're there cruising around, taking that for a spin, you'll have access to the severance calculator, which is built in, baked into that website at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But we always tell you over the next hour, the best part is getting you on air with us. So the open lines are open. We got lots of them. You have questions about your job, employment life, maybe just something you've always wondered about severance or temporary layoff, or if, uh, any other reasons or any other concerns you have with your job, possibly for yourself, friend, family member, colleague, bring it on. Lots of time today. It's cool outside, but it's warm on air. So uh, join us, won't you? We'll get to that. And we've got a couple topics to discuss on the show today. Number one, social media in the workplace. Massive topic. Follow that up if we have time with uh, shattering severance myths. That's on the way as well. But Chris, as you know, brother, we always start off with the case of the day or the week that was. What's happening with you this past week?
2: Yeah, so uh, today I wanted to talk about, uh, there was a particular individual who came to me with, uh, with a problem. Uh, he's 58 years of age. He'd been with the company for going on two decades. He had a sort of a physical and technical role, and uh, ultimately he had to take some time off work for some surgery that needed to be done. And when he returned to his job, he was placed on a performance improvement plan. And the company had basically set out the targets or the goals that it wanted him to achieve uh, for purposes of this plan. And he was sort of worried and wondering, uh, you know, what would happen if they let him go for not meeting these targets, these goals in this, in this PIP, which is uh, you a fairly common situation I I come across. Um, Sometimes it involves people coming back from a leave or not, but um, yeah, he was just worried about what may happen if he doesn't meet these targets. And The first thing I thought about was it it may actually be the case that his inability to do the job or part of the job could actually be related to his medical condition. And this can happen a lot. You might have a psychological issue or a physical issue that prevents you from fully performing your job as you want to. Um, But there are a lot of situations where people don't even bring this up. And then the employer sort of assumes that you're just dropping the ball. You're not doing a good enough job while you have this sort of justification or explanation for for why that may not be happening. And and I told this gentleman that he wants to, uh, he should be making clear to his employer that if there is a part of his condition that's affecting his ability to his job, you want to lay that out. Um, And so, as I say, to the extent that someone's performance is lacking, uh, but it's due to a condition, The employer is going to be a lot more hard pressed to point to that and say, you know, this is a legitimate concern of ours because they'd essentially be risking um, discriminating against against him because of that link to the condition. So um, you can't be punished, first of all, for not being able to do your job if it's due to something like a medical condition. But even if he this guy were to be let go, you know, he's in his late 50s, been there for almost 20 years, even if the company comes to him and says, You're not meeting the targets, and let's assume there's no discrimination at play here. It's going to be almost impossible for that employer to let this person go for cause. And a lot of people that I talk to are worried about this. They're they're worried about a uh, company building a case against them and eventually letting them go for cause and giving them nothing on their way out. But in this particular guy's case, as I say, 20 years in, no issues otherwise, he would almost have to sabotage the entire company performance-wise to have some sort of basis for there to be cause. So, I told him, you know, not to worry as much as he could, to definitely disclose the fact that maybe some of his inability to do his job was related to the condition. And also that if he ever was going to be let go, highly likely there's no cause. And for a guy of his standing, he could be looking at upwards of 20 months of severance if they were to let him go. So, you know, your employer can let you go for performance reasons, but it's got to generally pay out severance. And a lot of people think that. Um, you know, there's a there's a leg that an employer may have to stand on to, to deny someone that when it comes to performance allegations. But yeah, very, very hard. And if that ever happens to someone out there and you're being told you're you're getting no severance or very little, you definitely want to get some legal advice and, and give me a call because you're likely looking at a much bigger package, even if that were to occur.
1: Well, it's interesting this case, Chris, because this, I mean, we'll talk about the other side of this, but the, in this particular mm-hmm. person you're talking about, I mean, it's coming back from a surgery. So if he's got the backing of yeah. his medical team, his doctor, there's, the employer's hands are tied. If he needs accommodation <clears throat> or if he has this, because he can't achieve what they want in the PIP. I mean, again, he's still got his right. medical team behind him in this case that has, that has a lot of weight. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like if there's some sort of goal uh, where he's got a haul, a bunch of weight or, carry a bunch of things. And as you say, he's got the support, let's say, from his doctor that, that speak to, you know, uh, lifting limitations or, or whatever the case may be, um, then for the employer to insist that certain things be done in the face, especially of that information too, um, even more of an uphill battle for that employer. And, and also something, of course, any individual in that situation sh- should consider as far as, you know, maybe telling your employer, your boss is one thing about something you're going through. But having that uh, support from the doctor, getting that medical note, whether it's from a family physician, it could be from a specialist, uh, an orthopedic surgeon, whatever the case is, having that in your arsenal as well is just going to give you more grounds to sort of push back and, and make sure that you, um, your job is protected and your employer is not doing anything wrong.
1: Now on the other side of that case, if it's somebody who's just been put on a, uh, a performance improvement plan, there was no medical backing, didn't come back from surgeries and uh, a disability or anything like that, it's just a regular guy. Right. And you said, you know, the, the fear often <laughs> is that this employee thinks, okay, the employer is starting to mount up a defense to let me go for cause. What is mm-hmm. the def- What's the counter defense for somebody in that situation? How can they early on avoid that happening, or at least try their best to avoid that happening? What do they yeah. have to do? Yeah. Yeah. So assuming there's no medical issue or any human
2: rights related matter at play and your employer is just and you may agree that, that you're just not doing as good of a job and your employer does try to use this for cause. I mean, again, first of all, very, very unlikely they're going to meet that test. Right. Um, but if you are generally just an employee who's being faced with a bunch of criticisms as far as a performance improvement plan is concerned, I always tell people that if you have any disagreement, you know, if something is just completely false or maybe they're omitting some important context around a particular issue that's just not being considered, you definitely want to make your voice heard. You want to state your response to that PIP in writing um, because you can have all the verbal discussions you want with your boss and one-on-one meetings and this and that. But if it's not in writing, the employer is going to have that ability to say, you know, we, we didn't hear about this. This is the first time you're, you're telling us. But if you have it in writing and you say, you know, I've received this PIP, this is what I disagree with ABC and assuming that's all legitimate, then later on, if your employer tries to rely on ABC, you know, you just kind of quashed each and every one of those things, maybe months prior. Again, it's going to be harder for that employer to sort of have that leg to stand on knowing there's that pushback. But if there's no pushback and you're silent, then they could just potentially just add up all these criticisms, have that be seen as, you know, being accepted on your end because you were silent and then just give them a bit more of a reason or more of a leg to stand on to get rid of you if they want to, and you know, God forbid, try to assert some argument that you're not owed any money or, or very little. So you want to be you want to be vocal if you can, um, because otherwise you're just going to put yourself at more risk.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's kind of the two mantras we've had since day one of the show years ago, and that is number one, silence is acceptance. Number two, if it's mm-hmm. if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. Just if you go by those two rules, defending yourself, and you should be generally okay even before that phone call to. Uh, to you, Chris. Again, we got time, lots of time here this morning. Uh, A couple topics. We're going to cover social media in the Mm -hmm. workplace, followed up by number two, which is shattering severance myths and the phone calls. Ron, thanks for uh, having the coffee, taking the time. How are you, you, pal? I'm good. Good morning to both of you. Thank you, sir. Good morning. Um, I have a simple question.
3: This is based for my son. He's worked for a company for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a restaurant company. He was laid off over COVID, as most restaurants were, but not paid any severance. Now they're talking about shutting down and laying everybody off again. What would he be entitled to? Because they said they already laid him off once, but they didn't pay him anything.
2: Now, when you say they laid him off, was this a temporary situation where, for example, he was placed on a layoff uh, you know, in 2020 or 2021 and called back? Or Correct. has he been off Oh, yeah. Okay. So how long has he been back since the recall? Do you know?
3: Oh, a good year and a half at least.
2: Okay. Well, one thing I always tell people is that when it comes to these temporary layoffs, you always want to be careful, even frankly, if it's due to COVID, you want to be careful of accepting those layoffs because it can allow the employer – I think you may even pointed this out – it can allow the employer in a future situation to lay that person off again, maybe temporarily – and have that ability to do so because of the past history when actually a misconception is that, um, you know, employers just have this right to place you on a layoff, even if there's some sort of economic downturn. And that's just simply not the case unless there's some sort of contract or something you signed. But in, in your particular situation, he's accepted the layoff initially, he's been called back, and now there's maybe some worry about the company closing up. If he gets permanently laid off, in other words, terminated as a result of the closure of the business, shutting down or whatnot and assuming of course they're not going to they're not going to cry bankruptcy um, he would be potentially owed a substantial severance package you know he's been there for two decades depending on how old he is and his role and how much money he was making he could get upwards of 18 19 20 months of severance if they ever make the layoff permanent um, if, if they try and lay him off on a temporary basis again but only on a temporary basis like i say there may be the ability for them to do that um but i think either way if it's a temporary layoff or a permanent termination he should probably be giving us a call and and we can talk him through it because like i say the the potential for his severance is is quite great given all those years
3: so like this is this seems to be a common thing throughout the restaurant industry i'm a Mm -hmm. i'm a retired chef myself so i get this question from from people in my groups who who've gone through this but they they you know When you say accepted a layoff, what Mm -hmm. choice do they have? They they didn't accept it. They closed the doors, whether whether it's for the business or the government themselves.
2: Yeah, no, that's a fair point. A lot of people just don't know what the rights are. But in general, when you have a company come to you, whatever industry we're talking about, and they say, you know, the industry's slow or whatever, we've got to lay you off temporarily, and we hope to call you back soon. You're right. You don't really have much of a say in almost all of these situations. Um, and it's kind of the company's decision. But at the point they do that, you want to get in touch with a lawyer because you can potentially have the option to say, hold up a minute. I understand the industry's going, you know, south or doing poorly, but I also don't agree to being placed on a layoff. I don't agree to being uh, having my wages cut in 100 percent from from 100 to zero for some unknown period of time. And, and even though if you don't take a stand literally the day you're placed on the layoff, if you take a stand soon enough afterwards and express your objection and let it be known that you're not agreeable to the layoff, then at least you have a potential option at that point of going after some severance. But if you're laid off and you think nothing of it and you come to a lawyer a year later or six months later, um, it, it's going to be hard for you then to go back and, and claim that the layoff was, was not accepted because you were silent through all those, those numbers of months. So it is a tricky situation, but I just think anytime someone is in that situation, they're being told, hey, we've got to lay you off. Just give a lawyer a call, get some advice, because you may have more options than you think other than just to accept it and and be be uh, going forward on that basis.
1: And with that, we'll take our uh, first break. Lots more time on the other side. So uh, yeah, we'll get into our topics of the day as we continue getting warmed up here on The Employment Law Show coming right back. Yeah, you betcha. You. We're back here. John Scholes and Chris Justice, courtesy Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP. Chris, of course, an employment lawyer. Reach out to Chris anytime. We don't do the show. He's always ready to uh, take your phone calls, have that chat. He's got a great team working with him as well. And thats eight uh, five five. help at employmentlawyer.ca through the email. But uh, here and now, yeah, we've still got lots of time, lots of open phone lines here at the station to call us uh, here live and get on air, talk to us about your issues. It's something we talk about over the next little while with our two topics, kind of piques your interest and sounds familiar. Again, call in 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400. All right, Chris, let's get started on this, bud. First topic: social media in the workplace. It is a huge one. Are things you post on social media private? Always that question. Is there? Is there, I mean, is there such a, a thing as a right to privacy on social media, still or yeah. at all?
2: Yeah, yeah, no. It's definitely a, a trending topic. We've seen some stories in the news about you know the the potential impact someone's social media post can have, and mm-hmm. you know, sort of how their employer may view it. Um, and especially in this day and age, I think you should always assume that. For example, whatever you do on a work computer um, could potentially be viewed by your employer. I mean, depending on the size and the sophistication of the employer, some are going to have the, the the ability to sort of review or monitor certain things maybe more than other employers would. But you've got to assume that, as I say, when it comes to things like work computers uh, or even work a work phone, um, there's going to be definitely a reduced expectation of privacy there. And so ultimately, if you're on social media, whether it's, you know, work computer, work phone, you're posting certain things, making certain comments, and you don't want your employer to know of this or that you're spending time on social media, probably the best thing is just simply not to be on social media. Um, But yeah, you've got to have an expectation or an understanding that certain things may not be private. This is also going to depend on what social media we're talking about. I mean, there's obviously abilities to sort of encrypt or or put things behind passwords or, or whatnot. But then there's also other platforms that are just open and and accessible by anyone, you know, in the public. So definitely something that people need to be mindful of because, uh, you know, you could be making a a fairly innocuous comment on a post and your employer, though, may take issue with it. And and that could, you know, cause some trouble down the road.
1: Yeah, we often talk about as we get uh, deeper into this topic, Chris, that, you know, if if you're about to post something, especially in the current climate with everybody throwing something up on social media with their opinion every day, you know, you're wise just to type it up and then, you know, walk away five minutes, go have a coffee, grab a glass of water, maybe walk the dog, come back, look at it again before you hit send mm-hmm. or post. And you might think, ooh, okay, let's let's just dial this back, pump, you know, pump the brakes on this one before I send this one along. And it's probably a good idea if that's what your spidey sense is telling you, just don't hit it because it could yeah. get in trouble. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and and there's there's certain, I guess, examples of posts that are just flagrant and, you know, aimed at targeting someone and are clearly negative. But then there's more, um, you know, like I say, uh, a bit more tricky posts where it's not as direct. Maybe you don't think it's relating at all to the company or whatever, but nonetheless, it has some kind of an impact or it reflects on them in a way. And then you also got to consider what your job is, too. You know, are you... Mm Uh, a social media presence? You know, is your job one where you're in the media a lot? Or maybe you're working in a warehouse somewhere, and it's not much of a focal point. So just a lot of things for people to consider. And as you say, before you hit send or, or enter any kind of message, definitely want to think about what you send. And at the very least, maybe get some legal advice. Because as I say, it's better to know going forward what the potential impacts are, rather than just be posting blindly and, and you know, come to find out later on that your employer finds out and you know has a chat with you or something like that.
1: Chris Justice, of course, on with us today, and he's your employment lawyer over the next hour. What if an employee uh, harasses or bullies another employee through social media? Again, that can, it's, quite often, that's not direct, but it's kind of a roundabout way of getting bullied or harassed, but it, it's mm-hmm. recognizable still, right?
2: Yeah, again, more maybe of a modern phenomena. I mean, you, you typically yeah. see sort of in house, you know, physical workspaces with people in there, and there's some bullying, some harassment going on, and that still happens for what it's worth, but. Again, more and more now, you're you're seeing sort of bullying that happens. You know, whether it's on social media or through some sort of text message system or Slack channel or, or whatever the case may be, where employees and, and coworkers are sort of um, you know mingling, and yeah, you'll see you'll see messages, whether it's texts or social media posts, where there is an employee being bullied, or maybe there's a group chat and, and three people are ganging up on somebody else, and and this may all be taking place even. Outside the workplace or off work hours, but then you're coming back into the workplace the following day, and there's this sort of um, issue that's present. And I think just like any form of bullying or harassment, whether it's social media or otherwise, the employer's got to, um, you know, look into this. Still has a duty to protect their employees from mistreatment. And as I say, this applies to social media as well. So if if there's something that that is an issue, obviously if you're the employee and you're being affected. You want to potentially bring that to the employer's attention, and then you know the employer can take some action, and hopefully intervene, and and figure that out. And if not, and your employer just simply turns a blind eye or or just brushes it under the rug, um, and, and you're still having to go through this 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 situation, maybe some toxicities present, um, that could actually result in a potential termination too. You know, your your employer essentially dropping the ball on, on ensuring that that workplace is free and safe from things like bullying and harassment. And as I say, now you're, you're potentially going after them uh, for a constructive dismissal case for severance, um, yeah. possibly for additional damages too, for just, you know, the employer's failure to kind of take take things by the reins there. Um, but yeah, absolutely a problem. I'm sure we'll see more and more of it, but again, you do want to make your, your concerns known and uh, hopefully the employer does the right thing at that point.
1: Well, it's interesting to your point, and I'm sure you've seen an uptick in this because you know one of the things, as we all know, as a result of the the pandemic, is a lot of people um, they're you know either doing fewer days at the office or they're at home permanently mm-hmm. now, so they don't have that face to face. You know, they I guess courage right. is the right word, but they don't necessarily have that bullying face to face where they might not do it with somebody in the office in the next cube in the next cubicle, but now they're yeah. at home and they're the person they're focused on is at home as well. everyone's got keyboard mm-hmm. courage, right? They just throw it out there. On social media, and it's it's easy because they don't have to face the person. But to your point, just as damaging, if not more widespread, because people can just do it with a stroke of a keyboard.
2: Yeah, yeah, just another form of of uh, this issue that we're coming across. And yeah, to your point, I think a lot of people can tend to be a bit more brave when it comes yeah. to social media, especially if they're posting through an anonymous account. Um, but at the same time, I know some people are going to be a bit more wary of what they put actually in writing too. So. You know, if there's a lot more communication nowadays between coworkers, that's just email or, or correspondence, given everyone's working from home. Um, yeah, we may we may see some actual evidence rather than that. He said she said it'll take a different form. But mm-hmm. um, again, absolutely something that needs to be addressed and um yeah, I guess time will tell how things sort of evolve in this sense.
1: Now, if an employer wants to discipline an employee for spending, you know, too much time on social media at work again because they could be working from home, you got lots of distractions mm-hmm. around you. How should that employer like kind of go about doing that or I guess building up a case or at least discipline, not necessarily for 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 termination right away? What do you think? Yeah,
2: so I mean either, you know, whether you're working from home or working out of the office, obviously you're there to do a job, you're there to do the work. Um, and, and that's, of course, going to be a reasonable expectation your employer is going to have. Now, does that mean it's reasonable for you to not spend a single second, let's say, on social media through the entire workday? Probably not. Um, it's probably going to come down to, you know, how much time are you actually spending? Uh, is it interfering with your ability to perform your job? Um, but, yeah, certainly if someone is using social media excessively, uh, and there's an issue uh, that that's having on their performance, then there definitely can be discipline. Um, could be a, maybe a verbal warning, a written warning. I mean, frankly, you could even be terminated. But again, we go back to you know when when companies try to terminate people for cause and and strip them of their severance entitlements. That that again can be an issue, even if they're not happy with your social media usage. Um, but, but yeah, you definitely want to, as the employer, also make those expectations clear. You know, ideally have a policy that's designed around social media that, that maybe speaks to things like the work phone, the work computer, maybe monitoring on those devices. And, and just like I say, lay it all very clearly for the employees so they understand what their obligations are. And as the employer, you can at least refer to your own policy and say, look, you know, this is a breach here. You're, you're kind of violating the policy there um, rather than having nothing in place and you know, trying to assert that there's cause or, or some justification to let the person go.
1: Yeah, kind of a tough thing to navigate, too, because, you know, if, if if a person's on social media, for instance, if I'm sitting here with you now, I've got a computer monitor mm-hmm. in front of me. I can see the station. I know what's going on. I have my broadcast connection. But then I have my cell phone in front of me, too, which is not connected to yeah. you or or the workplace at all. I could be right now, as we talk, going through Amazon, you know, buying socks. You wouldn't know. So it's, it's kind of yeah. a tough thing for an employer to navigate for sure. But uh, we got a break, but I want to see if we get William in here quickly just before we, uh, we do that. William, thanks sure. for taking the time. How are you?
4: not too bad brother not too bad so my question is this i uh, i along with several of my colleagues are management in a union shop so we're non-union we submitted a complaint grievance whatever you want to call it to our hr department saying that our job duties in our job description is not correct we want to be we want it reviewed and we want to be reclassified fast forward a very long time We have our our appeal was granted, so we have had our salaries adjusted and a new set of like a new title and a new set of job duties. So a lot of it's the same. There's some additions and some changes and so on and so forth. My question is, are we entitled? Are we required or should we get a new employment contract that it states that? Nothing has changed in terms of our location or anything like this. It's like, oh, yeah, this is a job, call, this is, this is a job list from 15, 20 years ago. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense because I work in information technology. So, you know, nothing in IT has changed in the last 15, 20 years. So, yeah, we have to update this. But there's new stuff there that may or may not be applicable or appropriate or what have you. So there you go.
2: Yeah, so you definitely want to be sure of what you're doing, right? get Now, you mentioned, you know, should we be looking at a new employment agreement? I get a bit weary of that because when you start talking, presenting some current employee with a completely different employment contract, you got to be careful that they don't slip in some language there that you know, kind of strips you of your entitlements down the road. You know, you may, you may look at the agreement and say, okay, the new positions here, the pay raises here, everything's looking good, but then there's this fine print that you don't even think about that could affect you. So that's one concern I have. But I think as far as just the job and understanding what you're responsible for doing, that's absolutely uh, a good idea to get at least something like a job description or duties list so that at least you can refer back to something and not have your company, over time let's say continually transform your job you know a lot of times people don't have job duty lists and they they have a hard time actually putting together definitively what they're responsible for doing and over time they just do so many different things that their job just becomes one where they just have to do so many different things but if you have a very defined job duty or description and you can come to an understanding with your employer on this is what i'm responsible for a b c d e f g then if any of those things get taken away or things get added, it's going to be easier for you as the employee to kind of track that and say, hold up a minute, you know, my job's changing. It's not what I signed up to do. It's not in accordance with this job duties list. And, and you're going to have probably a little bit better, uh, easier of time to sort of negotiate maybe something or potentially claim a constructive dismissal and say, you guys have changed things so drastically that this isn't even what I signed up to do. And as I say, you may have some options that flow from that.
1: And with that, we'll take a short break. Ross, it's see you standing by. We'll get to you as we continue with the Employment Law Show. Hang in there. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified,
0: guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: All right. Thanks for hanging in there, Employment Law Show. Ross, thank you so much for hanging in through the break, pal. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, sir. What's on your mind?
5: Um I just have a couple questions. I've sure. worked for an employer for 29 years and we've always had benefits. Um but then uh about 2 years ago, 3 years ago, he took away our short-term disability without telling us or without giving us uh, any notice. Um and I just found that out because I had to go off for 7 weeks because of a medical uh reason and our secretary just said, well, we don't have any short term. So I had to use all my holidays just so I could get paid. I don't know if that's allowed to do that or.
2: Well, um, so generally, I I guess if we're talking a good faith employer and, and there's changes that occur to your job, whether it's, you know, reduction in pay, change of duties, maybe they take away an aspect of your benefits package, um, Generally, there's got to be some notice given. Now, not all changes are significant changes, or at least the court wouldn't view them as significant changes. So there there are some changes that employers can make, even without the consent of the employee, that are not going to give rise to a complete breakdown of the employment relationship. So I guess one question would be to try to assess the value of losing these benefits um, to figure out kind of how significant or how big of a loss you're going to be taking moving forward. You know, I don't like know we, if there's...
5: Go ahead, yeah. We do pay... Um, I pay 50% of my benefits and he pays the other 50% of the benefits. If that makes Right,
2: sense. right. But, but you're just saying that in the event you're disabled, now there's going to be one less layer of protection through that disability plan, right?
5: Yeah, like we still have long-term disability and that kicks in at 101 days of being off. Um, okay, but okay. Up until then you have nothing.
2: Yeah, so that short term, maybe that for those first days you've got nothing or you've got some paid sick time or vacation if that. And then sometimes people can go on EI and collect EI sick benefits for a period of time, maybe until the long term kicks in. Um but there is, you know, still probably a loss there. It it may not like I say be big enough to to allow you to just simply leave as though you've been let go and go after all the severance. Um, it may require a bit more of a detailed consultation between you know a lawyer and yourself to kind of flesh out you know what the losses are you know when this exactly occurred because you did say two three years ago this change happened and so sometimes you know a a big change can happen to someone's employment but because it happened let's say three years ago um, they may not even be able to do anything about it in any case given the the passage of time but it also seems like you didn't find out until very recently so that would probably be the, the the date that we would go with. That would be more right. applicable, I think, in your case. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think when you factor in EI sick benefits, paid sick time, some vacation being used, and then you compare that to the regular benefit you had, you know, two three years ago, the question would be, you know, what is the difference there? You know, how much dollars are you losing as a result of that change? And then maybe from there, you might have more or less leverage to, to say to your employer that this is this is not acceptable from your point of view.
5: Okay. And, and another question I do have. Um, so sure. there's about eight employees that work um, all together and we're all paid salary and we do all the same mm-hmm. job, but all of our salaries are different. <laughs> OK, um,
2: like, that, that's not so, necessarily a problem, but yeah, go ahead.
5: No. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I've been there for 29 years and I'm making the same that someone just started like a year ago.
2: Yeah. In some sense, it comes down to each individual situation. So um, if if I work at a deal with my employer where I'm being paid X and then a different employee in a different position may negotiate a, a better or worse deal with that same employer, that's generally okay. But the question would be, why are these differences present? So, right. if everyone in the company except for one person is white, and all you know, then obviously optics can look different too, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. it's not it's not so much the fact that people are being t- paid differently, um, but more so why they're being paid differently. Is there any discrimination at play? Is there some bad faith at play? Um, so, I'd have to kind of I think investigate a bit further to figure out what what's exactly going on there, but um, it is possible. Yeah. I'll say that.
5: I, I think it's probably because I've been there for so long. So I'm still making what I did 15 years ago, and the new people that are being hired are because the cost of living has got higher and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they're being paid more or whatever, and yeah. uh, and I'm just like kind of just going along with the flow and and uh, still yeah. making 15 years ago wages.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not that necessarily the best way to retain employees. You know, I mean, companies can run businesses and there can be disgruntled employees that may leave because they haven't been given a raise in so many years. So mm-hmm. th- that's, I think, a risk on the company's end. You may want to have a chat with them and and sort of, I mean, or even get a lawyer involved to try and negotiate something, given how much you've put in yourself uh, without a raise all these years. And um, that, that could be possible. But yeah, generally, it's just going to come down to each individual sort of contract that you may have or the terms of employment you may have versus what someone else
1: may have and we're back at it in a moment short break and uh, back to more of your questions just like uh just like that and we'll continue with more of our social media in the workplaces while right here in the employment law show hang in there
0: you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of chorus entertainment
1: all righty, we got a uh, few minutes to go here, which means you still have time to make that phone call and talk to us. Chris Justice from uh, San Fierro and LLP is here for the hour, of course, uh, dealing out the, uh, the proper advice. Beyond that, help at employmentlawyer.ca, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the website, and to reach Chris and his team when the uh, show's. Not on air. We're not doing our thing. That would be one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. But we are talking about social media in the workplace. Massive topic will be for the foreseeable future. Can you get into trouble, Chris, for saying bad things about your boss and your personal social media account? I mean, most people probably wouldn't risk it, but just in case those that are just dying to do it, what do you think about that? Yeah, we
2: kind of touched a little bit on this before. I mean, obviously with... Uh, Work-related accounts, of course, there's going to be more of a focus. Um, but even personal social media accounts, uh, you may say, "Well, this is my private account. Right. I've got some, maybe, some personal friends on this account, but it's private, so my boss isn't going to find out, or someone at the company is not going to find out." And and that's possible. You know, you could have some some chats or some messages exchanged where where maybe no one finds out anything. But ultimately, if you do say something, you know, whoever it's to, and 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 whatever way it may be in. Uh, and the company finds out, then yeah, there, there is definitely a potential issue. It's definitely something that you can be um, possibly disciplined for. Uh, so yeah, I'd say don't take the risk unless you appreciate that it may impact your job, and even in some situations, it can result in a termination if if not um, you know just a warning or, or something in writing.
1: Well, let's let's go down that road then. So you've you've been fired because you used the social mm-hmm. media in the workplace. What do you do now?
2: Yeah, so obviously. Contact a lawyer, get some legal advice. I mentioned this as well before that that if you've actually been let go for something you've you've maybe said on social media, uh, the odds of the employer having the ability to both let you go and avoid paying you any severance is just highly highly unlikely. So so again, even in these situations, um, you're you're very likely looking at a severance package. Um, you're certainly not deserving of just cause in most scenarios, typically reserved for the worst offenders. Um, so yeah, you, in terms of what you need to do, reach out to a lawyer, get the severance that you're owed, obviously talk about some other issues if, if they're present, but um, that would be uh, definitely the first and, and best step to take.
1: I want to grab an email here uh, in between our, uh, our topics. Chris, again, help at yeah. employmentlawyer.ca. Joanne says, guys, my 60-year-old uncle is being asked to sign an employment contract uh, <clears throat> after not having signed anything for 15 years. He heard his friends who signed the same contract were let go shortly after. What are his rights? What should he do?
2: Yeah, well, we had the caller just uh, not too long ago call in and, and you know, it's a situation where you, you've been with a company for many years, you're being told to sign some new contract, maybe you're getting a bit of a raise, um, maybe you're getting the promotion that you wanted, or maybe the company just coming to you and saying, hey, we, we want to, you know, paper our trail and, and we want these, these into the records and so do you mind signing this? And you think, okay, I'll sign it, I'm getting a bit of benefit, or okay, I'll sign it, it's just sort of an administrative thing, you know, what harm could come of it, you sign it, and then lo and behold, again, you find this, uh, this hidden language, hidden clause in there that says, you know, if we if we ever decide to let you go, you know, after signing this contract, we can do so by only giving you the bare minimum entitlements. And so someone could be at a company for, say, 20 years, have absolutely nothing in writing in terms of a contract. And had they been let go at that point, get upwards of two years of severance. But now they sign a contract, it's got some termination clause in it, and they're being let go maybe a few months after they sign the contract. And instead of looking at upwards of two years of severance, they may be withheld to just six, seven, eight months of severance. So we're talking like a third of what they potentially could get had they not signed that contract. So, uh, and then you add on to the fact that, you know, people are being let go in a similar situation who signed contracts. So, it's generally not going to be something they want you to sign to your benefit. It's going to be something a company wants you to sign for their benefit. And, yeah, you could definitely be throwing away tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, God forbid you know, you're, you're let go after signing something like, uh, like those friends of his did.
1: Spend a couple minutes on our uh, seven, uh, second topic before we wrap here, uh, Chris. That would be sure. shattering severance Miss Number one, being, quote-unquote, on contract means you don't get any severance. No, no.
2: Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple scenarios here. So there's one scenario where you maybe have a contract that's a year in length, and you finish that year, and you sign another one for another year, and you sign another one for another year, and you've got maybe four or five different contracts each a year long that right. you've just signed consecutively over and over and over again, and you basically work there for four or five years continuous, and then the company comes to you and says, okay, this this fifth contract we gave you for the year, this is actually the last one. So at the end of the year we're just going to cut ties with you and not pay you anything. Well, the law may actually very well consider you to be an employee of indefinite duration. Even if you've signed a fixed term contract, if it gets renewed year after year after year, then it's almost pretty much the same thing as just saying, we're going to hire you indefinitely. And, you know, we hope to work with you for as long as possible. And, and so that there's a scenario there where you may actually get severance that is fitting for a five or six year employee um, rather than just going along with what the company says and, and, Uh, Wait till the contract concludes and you you have nothing to to show for it on your way out. So that's one scenario. But then there's another scenario where maybe you sign a a three-year contract. uh, You you only do one of the three years and then you're let go. Well, ordinarily as as an employee of one year, you might only get a few months of severance. But because you sign a fixed-term contract for three years and they let you go after only one of the three, you could potentially get the full two remaining years of that contract paid out which would be normally way more than you would get in a normal severance situation. So you could actually get the balance of that contract paid out. But yeah, the general point being that if you're on this so-called on contract or have this fixed term contract and and you're being told you don't get any severance or your severance is is very much lower than it would have been, um, don't believe that because the odds are that's not the case. And you could be looking at several months if not even more in a situation like that.
1: Is there a general threshold as far as how many contracts you sign before it becomes kind of a moot point you're an employee? Was it like three or four, two? What do you think?
2: Yeah, there's no exact science. I think it's contextual. Um, I would say definitely after two or three successive contracts, companies are going to be at a much greater risk of it being deemed indefinite employment. Uh, Sometimes you've got a contract that you sign from day one that has like an automatic renewal provision in there. So it'll just say something like, uh, you know, if, if you're continuing to work for us at the end of the, the contract's length and we don't say otherwise, you'll just you'll just automatically renew for a year. Um, so something like that could be seen as indefinite uh, duration. Sure. But yeah, typically after a couple years, uh, you start looking into that and saying, okay, yeah, this is, this is just a scenario where for whatever reason, the company just wanted to try to avoid liability and put someone on successive contracts over and over and over again. But it. it actually could come back to bite them in the butt, and and they may actually have to pay more had they just um, given an indefinite duration contract with a good mm-hmm. termination clause.
1: So there you go. Listen up, you private school teachers, if you don't get called back, right, after 15 or 20 years to sign the same contract every year, yeah. year after year. So uh, give Chris a call. We are out of time. We are up against the uh, up against the clock for sure. But always reach out to Chris and his team now if you have other questions during the week. No problem. one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca for an email. And the website you should go to first, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time here on the Employment Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.